I just want us for a moment just to remain right there. There is something um, that we can never lose about our entering in, about our approaching um, God in worship. There's an aspect of the character even of Jesus that is so close and so personable, but at the same time, he is always set apart and holy. And there's a weight that should come in these moments that cause us to, 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 to both literally and figuratively go, is my heart bowed before Jesus? Like, am I hailing him as the one that I say that he is? And is, is the way that I think and the way that I live um, impacted by this? There, there's something profound about saying all hail Lord Jesus, that there's a lordship of him over my life, and it is uh, something that I don't just do with my life, but it is also the delight of my life. And so I just wanted to give us a few moments just to consider what we are singing and who we are singing to. This Jesus that is holy and set apart and has forever changed and transformed our lives for those who have given their lives fully to him. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. And uh, just so thankful uh, this morning for um, our worship team, our production team, um, not just seeing a new people and younger people in our worship team, but also we have two new production volunteers. It's just really awesome and encouraging to see um, God rallying together his church and continuing to uh, see people welcome to our church, people uh, coming to faith, being baptized, uh, getting involved and connected. It's just really sweet to see. It um, definitely has stirred my affections this morning. And um, there's an importance, um, I want to speak to this a bit before I jump into the message. There is an importance in presence. I want you to know that uh, this last year has shown uh, more than anything that there is uh, something different when you are around people in the context of the local church. And uh, I, I'm, I'm honestly um, saddened by uh, what I see, concerned in other ways, um, hearing how um, what's happened some in this past year is people have kind of deconstructed church. And, and we walked through a season when I think it was right and necessary for us to do what we did and to predominantly or entirely uh, meet um, virtually and online. But um, I'm concerned now and just want to just, as a, as a, uh, from my heart as a pastor, just speak into what I sense in some places. I'm not speaking to the person, whether here or online, I'm not speaking to the person that is sick and, and using the online service as a way to join us in church. I'm not talking about the person who has real health concerns. I'm not talking to those people. What I am talking to is a group that I think, not just in my own conversations with our staff, but uh, with other conversations of other uh, churches, um, some I think have begun to use COVID as an excuse, and, and maybe it's an inconvenience to come to church and get all the kids together and get them here. I get that. I have four kids, and uh, um, I, I, I just want to speak to that because um, here's the thing. We can't miss the bigger purpose. And the bigger purpose is together. And there is something profound, profoundly spiritual, practical, relational, emotional, spiritual, all of it, 
that happens when we come together, when we engage in the one another's, when we engage in church in the way that scripture outlined it. And we're gonna continue to have our online service to serve people who might be out of town or are sick or whatever. But um, I wanna encourage and call maybe some people who came for the first time in a long time this morning or some who are still online. I wanna challenge you. Um, uh, seek God in this and consult with us in this, but um, we want you back here. There's something awesome about seeing people. I, I can look in this crowd right now and see people who have even struggled physically in this last year because of COVID, but I believe scripture is calling us back to rally back together around the purpose. And, uh, and so we're going after this mission to make disciples of all nations, and there's something that happens when we gather together, here and in smaller groups. And so I just wanna really encourage you in that, and, uh, and if you wanna have a conversation, we'd love to lovingly process through that with you. So um, this morning, uh, we've got Acts chapter 11 in front of us, and here we're gonna see what happens when not just individual people rally together to be the church, but when churches rally together to represent the mission to the world. And so let's pray before we jump in. God, um, I, I love, love, love the people of this church increasingly, God. There is um, a growth in my own love that, um, that I am uh, encouraged by and thankful for, and it has uh, stirred my affections this morning to uh, see what you're doing in our church, the people that you're raising up in our church to lead us, and uh, God, it's just miracles everywhere, and I, I love it, and it is... Um, a great privilege to lead, but I pray, God, that we would be aligned around mission. I pray this morning this message would help us see both for some where our church is at, but also how we're committed to engaging together in representing the church to the world. So just lead us um, now through the work of your spirits. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, uh, one of the reasons why I, I really felt um, led to, to, to give that um, a loving sort of pastoral um, exhortation at the beginning is because too often what we see, um, even in normal times, is, uh, is Christians isolating from one another and uh, moving to a place where uh, because of sin and brokenness we find that relationships are hard and then things happen and we get hurt and then there's this move to separation and I just want to remind us this morning that the gospel always calls us to work through sin and brokenness, through it, through it, not to run from it but to work through it. There's no end to Christ's forgiveness and there's no end to the potential for healing and reconciliation when Christ is at the center. So stay connected. But what we're gonna see this morning is that there's a message in that not just for individual Christians. There's a message for that in regards to churches. In regards to churches. It's a problem when churches isolate themselves also. Maybe some of you are thinking about some situations that you may uh, have known of or know currently. Too many churches today are disconnected and isolated. Uh, they're pastors that I hear from and that I've been around with no support network. And I want you to know that at Christ Church, as long as I am the lead pastor, we will always be connected to other um, uh, gospel-centered, uh, aligned both theologically and practically, we will be in community with other churches, hearing from them, learning from them, engaging them. Um, and because honestly, there, there's a part about my nature as a leader that's just collaborative. Like I love the, what, what happens when we gather together. It's good for my soul and it's good for the souls of the leaders in our church. And I'm gonna illustrate that in a variety of ways today because that's the topic of Acts chapter 11. 
We're going to see the benefits of ministry and community. And then we're going to have a really practical way that we can engage in that even before we leave today. It's a little bit of a different message, I'll warn you. Uh, It's not going to have the sort of like personal, like the really deep personal application that sometimes God's word brings us. Um, It's going to give you an understanding of the heart of our church. It's going to give you an understanding of how we align in this and how we align with exactly what we see in the early church. I pray that it'd be an encouragement to you broadly of what's happening in our church and maybe give you a confidence to engage more fully in it. So here's the big idea that we're gonna see from Acts 11, it's this. Ministry and community strengthens churches as they fulfill the mission. Ministry in community. So let's check it out. Acts chapter 11, eyes on God's word. So, so here we go. Um, Verse one, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. That's what just happened in Acts chapter 10. That was last week. We talked about how the gospel's been extended to the entire world now. And it's breaking out and this this man Cornelius and his whole household come to faith in Christ. And now um, they were in Caesarea and then look what happened. Caesarea's on on the west coast there. And so then it says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, The circumcision party, that's an unfortunate identification for a party. (laughs) The circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So Peter has traveled from Caesarea to Jerusalem. That's 70 miles. That's not like a, oh, I think I'm going to go visit Jerusalem this afternoon. It's like a big trip. And so the word had spread about what was happening. And he comes and he's immediately criticized. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. Verse five, I was in the city of Joppa. He's just recounting what happened in chapter 10. In the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house. Notice, not a coincidence. He's pointing to God's working all of this out in perfect timing in ways that he could never be a coincidence, certainly not. They arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, now first off in this section, let's just highlight some things. Um, the word spreading fast really fast. And Peter's in this position where he has to defend himself against um, this group that's like, what in the world is happening right now? What is going on? Some of what they knew about 
about the gospel and church is shifting, it's changing. They're becoming aware of some things that God's doing and it makes them a bit nervous. And so they, they criticize Peter and, and he defends himself first by just going to God's providence. And he just re- recounts the story. Now I want you to notice here because there's something that he says that I think is really key. And it's really important that we note this because we've had a bunch of like outpourings of God's spirit and we've talked about those at different times as we've gone through this passage. Now what I want you to see here is he says, um, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. He's like, and then in verse 17 he says, God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is an evidence that that the gospel would really come to the Gentiles. And so what I want you to notice here is that this is a point where we begin to see what is the normative work of God's spirit around salvation. Notice here. He's making an observation, not just what happened with Cornelius and his household, but he's then saying it happened to them just like it happened to us, which is faith in Christ, fullness of God's spirit poured out. There's a bunch of different ways that it plays out as as the Spirit is being poured out and the Holy Spirit comes all throughout the book of Acts. But this is a clue, a very clear clue, that Peter's like, it happened in their life in the same way that it did with ours. What is normative? Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone gets the same gift, the Holy Spirit, which is an evidence that they are saved, which means it comes in salvation. And that is what then allows Peter to say, who was I that I could stand in God's way? He's like, it's happening in their life the same way it happened in ours. And they fell silent. How many of us would love when criticism comes to have a point in time when the people fall silent? (laughs) Me. And not just silenced, they, they respond with worship. There's an alignment then. Then they make this declaration to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance, it leads to life. Now I just wanna make a quick observation on this because I want you to understand the weight of what's happening here. The, The Jewish Christians had this aspect of their faith was coming out of their culture. It was like, this is all that we've known is is this sort of faith in Christ on top of the traditions that we knew from our, our, our fathers and our forefathers and now everything's changing. If there's anything I've learned very quickly in the midst of uh, a church leadership and being in the spot of lead pastor over the last six years here at this church is, um, change is hard for people, okay? I have a respect for that more than ever, so, so don't look at the circumcision party and be like, why are you guys so, you know, so angry all the time? And um, instead, I, th- I think there's, there's a reality that um, we, we uh, like I've learned so much to be sensitive to that as people come to our church from different backgrounds as they come in even internally within our church as there's sometimes shifts and changes. It's sometimes very hard. And, but I hope that when there's alignment like Peter got to, he's like, who am I that I could stand in God's way? I hope that that's our cry also as God does things in the church that um, are different maybe than what we've traditionally known. Next, um, in this passage, the scene uh, shifts to Antioch. Look with me in verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, that was the stoning of Stephen, back in Acts chapter 8, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus, so the Gentiles. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. 
It's like, uh-oh, Gentiles are coming to faith now. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Okay, so now the scene switches to Antioch. So let's look at this next picture. Um, Jerusalem all the way down at the bottom, Antioch all the way at the top. 300 miles, uh, if you were gonna walk the distance, it would be 15 days if you're in shape. Okay, it'd probably take me 20. And, and so this, this is a long distance. I, I want you to see this because I want you to see where the gospel's expanding to. It's, 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 it's beautiful and strategic work of God's spirit. Uh, Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this point. Jewish Christians had fled to Antioch after the stoning of Stephen and all the persecution broke out. They're like, oh, we're, we gotta find another place to live. This is, uh, it's getting a little too hot here. And so they go to Antioch, and if you think about the, the way God's working all of these things, he takes the stoning of Stephen, and he's like, I'm going to use this for my good. And so these uh, Christians flee to Antioch. They start sharing with Jews and, and Gentiles, and people are coming to faith in Christ. And there was a large population of Jews at this point living in Antioch, but the predominant population was Greek or Gentile. And so uh, they start preaching. People are turning to the Lord. And Barnabas is like, I know that if we want to see this thing continue and grow deeper, we got to get um, God's word um, into the people's lives if they want to live with steadfast purpose. So he's like, I know a guy, this guy called Saul, who eventually will be renamed Paul. And he goes to Tarsus, another distance away. And, and he, he, he finds Saul, because I'm sure Saul's easy to find. It's like he's out in the middle of the public talking about Jesus all the time. He's like, I'm sure I can find him. He finds him and he's like, hey, some awesome things are happening in Antioch. They go back and they spend this year together teaching the church. And that ends up becoming the place where, as it says there in verse, uh, verse 26, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So you just begin to see the move of God through these churches. And and. I want you to know that Antioch becomes one of, one of the central outposts for the gospel. Antioch is equal as the New Testament grows and expands as churches are, are, are reached through Paul's discipleship, Paul's, all Paul's discipleship and his journeys and his ministry. Um, it is like Jerusalem, Antioch, Alexandria, and Rome, those four cities. So you see right now we're at the beginning of this. It's a huge, Antioch had a huge influence in the expansion of the church into the rest of the world. Ministry and community strengthens churches as they fulfill the mission. And then look at this last section, starting in verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus, another very unfortunate name in the Bible, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the, all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability. I could, I could do a whole entire message just on giving and the sweetness of, we don't give under compulsion, we give each according to our own ability. And to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands 
of Barnabas and Saul. So now you have the church that's been reached by the believers and all that God was doing in Jerusalem and then Caesarea, and now they're walking with the Lord and in their discipleship they hear about a famine and it's apparently going to impact Judea differently than it's going to impact Antioch or maybe because it was the third largest urban center in the world at that point, they had wealth, and now they're like, we have an overflow of this, and so now we're gonna send it back to the churches in Judea to help them. Now you're starting to see this beautiful ministry in community. And that's why the big idea of this message is ministry in community strengthens churches as they fulfill the mission. And there's three ways so clear from this text that we see this. And I want us to be stirred up by this. I'm gonna give us examples of how we see this in our church and I'm gonna challenge us to engage in it in a variety of ways. Here's the three ways. First one. First way is discerning direction. Discerning direction. In the beginning of this uh, chapter, we saw that these questions are coming up in the Jewish Christians' minds and the leaders and the people that were a part of the circumcision party and it raised a lot of questions and uh, it led to criticism. The, the Jewish believers were concerned, like I said, that the teachings that they had known uh, and these, these new teachings of Christ that were leading to Gentiles coming to faith were gonna impact the customs and traditions that had become central to Jewish culture. And Peter had violated the Levitical law by going to uncircumcised men and eating with them. And so they raised this criticism. I want you to know, here's what I love about this, though. They voiced their criticism, right? They're not like, I, I'm sure there probably was some people that were like, can you believe what Peter did? Can you believe he went and he ate with uncircumcised men? <gasps> and I'm positive that in any sense of criticism, there's always some of the people who are gossiping. And trust me, gossip does a tremendous amount of damage in the church, even to today. And, but what I love about this is they voice it. Their communication is key and you don't get any sense that Peter gets um, defensive or tells them to shut up or he doesn't even seem to be threatened by their criticism. Instead, he processes through the criticism. He tells them what happens, what, what had happened. He highlights how God had led him in this direction. Church, church, I love when, when, when people raise questions but then are ready, not with, not, not with formed accusations, but ready to come hear what God has done and how a church leader or leaders have been led in a certain direction. Process through resistance. Then notice what, what, what Peter does is he refers to God's word. How is God's word leading the action? He, he, he refers to um, the, the place where John the Baptist says, John, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, referring to that moment around uh, the, John's baptism and then Jesus saying there's gonna become a time when you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he refers to the word of God to, to evidence why this was happening. Finally, they confirm that God was in this direction and they glorify God in it because consensus has been reached and so what you see here is this. There's a, in discerning direction, there's a processing through resistance, there's consulting the word of God, and there's affirming what God is doing. That is a beautiful picture of how to walk through and how to get direction, both in a church largely and in individual lives, I believe. I want you to know that um, direction for individual ministries that play out in and around our church are 
Um, so many of the directional moves are made by our pastors and directors in our church. But all um, larger, all church directional moves are made by, our, by the elders of our church. But what I want you to be assured of is this. Every major directional move for individual ministries or for our whole church in some ways is made in community because it strengthens our church. It's made in community. I believe there's safety in, in, in a group of counselors wisely chosen. Uh, it, it sharpens discernment, it, it protects from blind spots that you might not see, and it builds unity around a direction. And, and we are learning how to do this more deeply and broadly in our church, and I am both for it and wanting to lead in it. We are learning to, um, to process more slowly, we are learning to listen more carefully. We have learned a variety of lessons that we don't want to learn again. And, and through that, I believe God's making our church healthier than ever. We're doing this with staff decisions. We're doing this in crisis counseling, with ministry development. And I want you to know that counsel comes from many places. It comes from within our church. It comes from other pastors and directors in other churches within Great Commission Collective, which is our association of churches. Like, just look at this. This is from the website. This is the list of churches that are within Great Commission Collective. And I don't put that up on the screen just to be like, oh, look how many churches there are. I want you to know that I could literally walk through this list and I could talk about some churches in Illinois, some churches in Michigan, some churches in Missouri, some churches in Canada, some churches overseas, and I could give you the names of specific men and give you the details of how they have influenced me as a pastor, our church, and the direction at some key, key points in our church. It's ministry and community. It's gccollective.org if you want to check it out yourself. You might have some friends that live close to one of those churches and I would encourage you to encourage them uh, to go there if they need a church. And uh, man, I, not just that, but, but not just GCC churches, but there's churches in our area that we're desiring to learn from. There's Christian leaders more broadly in the Christian world that we long to learn from. Here's the people we're not consulting random person on YouTube or Facebook, okay? If you're not sure about the wisdom of that, please set up a meeting, I will show you. <laughs> last, year we had, last year we had another pastor and an elder from another GCC church meet with our elders to consult on an issue we were walking through. A few weeks ago, I spoke with another pastor in Muskegon County because I've been so impressed by the way that church is doing their compassion ministries and reaching out to the area. And I wanted to learn from them. And we're even talking about what we could do together. I love that. Ministry and community strengthens our church and other churches by helping discern direction. And let me just encourage you, while it's certainly not the primary application of Acts 11, because it's talking about churches working with other churches, um, this, this has so much wisdom for your life personally. I don't think there's any major directional decision you should make in your life without processing through resistance, consulting the word of God, affirming what God is doing, and walking in that, confident in where God's leading, and willing to learn as you walk in it. Ministry in community strengthens churches. Um, that's the first way, discerning direction. The second way, I love this one, encouraging faithfulness. 
encouraging faithfulness. So this church is blossoming in Antioch and, and they're seeing all these people come to faith in Christ and turning to the Lord. And they send Barnabas, who Barnabas is well known uh, throughout scripture. This is, where, this is exactly some of the places where Barnabas gets the reputation as being Barnabas the encourager. That's the very meaning of his name. And he's living up to it here. I love verse 23 and 24. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Like he came and he saw the grace of God. He was like, there's no way you all could be doing this yourself in your own power. Like God's at work here. He's doing a miracle here, both in leading you to Christ and uniting you with a purpose you can't even imagine right now. And it says that he's glad because when people see the grace of God, that's the response. Joy is found when you're close enough to see the grace of God, both in your own life and in the life of others. And and then he encourages them, he exhorts them, it says, uh, to remain steadfast, to remain faithful with steadfast purpose. And then, on top of that, Barnabas has the wisdom to know that if you want to remain faithful with steadfast purpose, you know what you need? You need to be deeply attached and affixed and grounded in God's word. And Barnabas has a humility to go, you know what? I could probably preach a message, but Saul, he's a bit stronger than me. I mean, in evidence, clearly half the Bible was written by Saul, soon to be renamed Paul. And so he goes to Tarsus, he gets him, and then they spend a year just teaching and training the church because he knew that there was a work in it. There's a commitment. If you want to remain faithful and with steadfast purpose, it's not just I showed up one Sunday to church. It's that I'm learning and engaging and receiving and grounding my life in this. That's how he encouraged faithfulness, both in his exhortation and practically through a ministry strategy that he worked on. A few weeks ago, we got the best picture of what it looks like for churches to do ministry in community and then to be encouraged towards faithfulness in it. Those of you who who don't know or maybe have come to our church in the last few weeks, I think it was three weeks ago, um, Dave Harvey, the president of GCC, was in our church. And not just in our church to preach a message, he was in our church the whole weekend and around our church. And And he came partially because Every time I was around him, I was sharing what God's doing in my life and in our church's life, and he was kind of like, I gotta come see this. So it worked out, and we had him up, and um, I got to spend the weekend with him, and, and in that, there was just an encouragement of faithfulness. It's such a good picture of Acts 11 today. He brought encouragement that I needed personally. I spent a few meals with him um, on Friday night and Saturday night, and I mean, it's... I've talked about it a lot, but you know, this year for anyone, anyone, and particularly with as many different decisions of ha- as, uh, that leaders in, in the church have had to make in this last year, um, it's been a rough year for anybody. And uh, I have faced a lot of criticism, some true and what I needed to hear, and some painful and hurtful and unfair. And he helped me discern truth from lies. He helped me navigate and even begin to call out the grace of God that he had seen in my life in our interactions over the past year. And and he encouraged faithfulness in me. 
And then, then he encouraged our elders in the same way. He met with our elders and then uh, elders from Traverse City came down to meet with him and he just talked through what does a good elder team look like and he encouraged our faithfulness and then he came in our church on Sunday and he brought a phenomenal message that encouraged our faithfulness that, that how do we navigate um, through situations in the church where we feel hurt or disappointed? And I was like, oh, that, we need that this year. And if you didn't listen to that message, go on our website and check it out. It's a huge blessing to many, including me. He came because he was excited to see what God was doing in our church. And he pointed out the grace of God in numerous levels. And then he he exhorted us to remain faithful with a steadfast purpose. There it is, church. Ministry in community strengthens the church, partially by encouraging faithfulness. And that's happening in our church all the time particularly three weeks ago. Then, final way that churches are strengthened through ministry and community is by sharing burdens. Here, like we pointed out, Agabus the prophet comes visiting Antioch and says, hey, there's gonna be a famine, and that famine comes to pass. And the church in Antioch, apparently, because they were the third largest urban center of the ancient world, they were they had the provision and the wealth to a degree where uh, they felt confident in their ability to manage the implications of a famine. And so they had money left over to help others. So they gathered around and they went, hey, God's been overwhelmingly awesome to us in this. And we're hearing or looking to the churches in Judea and we're not seeing the same. And so the disciples determined to send relief according to their ability. It wasn't like, oh, I need to give as much as that person. No, just look at God's provision for you. That's again, like I said earlier, it's a beautiful picture of what giving should look like in our church. That that I give out of what God's given me and and it's a first fruits, it's 10%, it's the tithe and and I give that and, and I'm not looking to somebody else and being like, oh, am I giving as much as you are or am I giving more than you? That's not, that's not even the point. The point is they determined has each had ability. But they were all in together and they sent resources to the elders to wisely disperse that. I love this picture of generosity and a readiness to give. And and this is a picture of financial generosity, but generosity can look so many different, it can look differently in different situations and circumstances. And, this, and this, this desire, though, is fundamentally to share burdens, to share burdens. I, I want to report of how I see this happening all the time in the churches that we are associated with. Um, I, I mean, groups of churches sharing the burdens of ministry. Uh, two weeks from today, I'm going to be at Harvest Traverse City uh, preaching for Doug Long, who's going on sabbatical getting some time away that he needs to recharge. And I'm going there um, to preach, and, and I'm so thankful that in the overflow of the provision God's given our church, that I've got Pastor Jeremy can sit right into the pulpit and preach a message. And it's good, it's healthy. And, and, and then at the end of the summer, Doug Long's gonna uh, come and preach at our church, coming off of a staff retreat where our staff is gonna uh, get some time away to connect and to pray and to seek the Lord. And just carrying one another's burdens in times of need, it could look like that. Right now, I want um, all of us to know that, that our church is aligned with Harvest Traverse City and three churches in uh, Texas, GCC churches, to support 
um, a church that's being planted in Dublin, Ireland. And, and this church is led by uh, Cyprian Balta, his wife, Karina. They have three uh, girls. Their oldest girl is 17. I think their youngest is nine or 10. And here's, the, here's a picture of the kind of the front page of their website. The name of the church is Hope Church there. If you want to check it out uh, yourself, um, hope.church.ie. And uh, so thankful as, uh, for the faithfulness of this church. Um, some of you uh, know that a few years ago, as it was just beginning to start, um, my wife and I and Doug Long and his wife Christy, we went over to Ireland and we went there doing for that church what Dave Harvey did for us three weeks ago. We went there and we, we saw the grace of God and we affirmed some things and we supported them and, we, and they were in a hard season and we had the opportunity to counsel them and encourage them and then make plans to come around them. And uh, church, I want you to know that out of the overflow of what God's done here in our church, we are sharing the burdens of this church being planted in Dublin. We are sharing the burdens financially. We are sharing the burdens relationally. In leadership, we're sharing it. And I want you to know this because I want you to pray for them. Um, right now, the restrictions around COVID in Ireland are brutal. And um, some of you, if you hear what's happening in Ireland, you might be like, nah, maybe it's not so bad in Michigan. Right now, they, they're not permitted to meet as a church like legally could go to jail for meeting as a church. They can't have other families in their home right now. People are calling on other people and getting in trouble legally for this. Right now what they can do though is they can have a family in their front yard, just not in their backyard, because that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and and uh, backyard, you just get way closer, I guess. And um, here's the thing, this church has been enduring for over a year doing their services on Zoom. Okay, I don't think we had it that bad. And um, because of that, it, three weeks ago when Dave Harvey was here, um, because of the time difference, um, their services start at 6 a.m. here because it's 11 a.m. then in Dublin. And so I came in that morning because Dave was preaching for me and I came in at 6 a.m., joined their service online, preached the message because that's what you can do on Zoom. I, was, I could have stood in front of the church and been like, hey guys, I was in Ireland earlier this morning like leading a church service there and, um, and uh, that's the benefit of it. The, the difficulty of it is, is that they're enduring uh, through that and uh, I want us to commit to praying for them. And I want us, it's a sweet, sweet thing that's happening there in a very, very hard place for the gospel to be received and I am so impressed and deeply encouraged by their faithfulness and we have an opportunity to serve and support them in prayer. Our church is being strengthened by doing ministry in community. And then we're having the opportunity then to also share the burdens of what's happening when we engage in that community. Now, not getting to a point where we're like, oh man, we, we are, we're so strong that we only give. We're always gonna be at a place where in humility we're gonna be like, man, there's some things we can learn. And then how can we be a blessing? Churches are strengthened through ministry and community, discerning direction, encouraging faithfulness, sharing burdens. And so I wanna give you, as I've promised, in this series, a missional move to make. And, and here's the move. We have an opportunity to encourage faithfulness. And I want a show of support to come from our church. And I'm so 
uh, thankful for what's already happened in the first service. Um, there's cards available at the welcome counter as you leave today, and I would encourage you um, to not take the card home. If you want to take the card home, you can get it back to us by Thursday um, at noon, and we're going to send this to the church, to Hope Church in Ireland. But I would encourage you even more to take the card and write a note immediately this morning. Maybe gather your family together and everyone can sign it. It's an opportunity to, to talk to your kids about the opportunity we have to encourage people a, a continent away. And I want you to write a note, maybe it's just an encouraging note, maybe it's a prayer, maybe it's a verse that God might be putting on your mind right now to encourage them. And we're gonna gather all of that up and we're gonna, we're gonna bring that faithfulness in the best way we can right now, right to um, that church in Dublin. And uh, I promise you, knowing where this church has been at over the last year, even now, that will be a great encouragement to them because that's what we want. We wanna encourage faithfulness. We want them to be faithful just like we're striving to be faithful. And so I would encourage you to do that. And if you're, you're watching online, please, you can uh, fill out a card or come in here, we'll give you one, and you can get that to us by Thursday at noon. We're gonna get that uh, to them. We wanna get it to them as quickly as possible. Ministry and community, church, strengthens churches as they fulfill the mission. And I hope that this message today has allowed you to see it come to life in Acts 11. And then to understand that that is still happening right now in our church and that there is a firm commitment to that continuing in deeper and greater ways. Let's pray together. God, I, um, I am deeply thankful for the way that your spirit has led me throughout my life to, to long for, to want to be in relationship and in community and ministry. God, please um, humble my heart, the heart of our lead, the leaders of our church, from our elders to our pastors, our, all of our staff, all of the key leaders in different ministry areas. I pray, God, that you would protect us ever from a, a pride that would cause us to not believe that we need to be in community anymore. Protect us from the difficulty of ministry, protect us from the criticism that could cause us to put walls up and, and keep out the very grace of God that, that you're wanting to pour into our lives, to lead our lives, to, to direct us. You've been so good to us, God, but, but let us never move to a place where we believe we don't need it anymore. Help us to be desperate, both in community with other churches, in the community within our church, and ultimately, before your throne. I pray that for some this morning that this message might be an encouragement to them, maybe coming from a different church background, maybe a deeper confidence of, of the very uh, culture that we're wanting to establish here at Christ Church. I pray for some it might be a calling, maybe there's some even personal application in this for their life, to do their life, to live their life, even to do ministry in community. God, strengthen us through one another. Help us to work through criticism and brokenness and sin that we might find the goodness of God again and again reaching out, ministering to our hearts and leading us forward. Ultimately, God, the end of all of this is so that the mission would be fulfilled, that the gospel would be extended to the ends of the earth. 
the disciples will be raised up who love God and love others. And so God, we just ask for that. Help us to engage in it fully and help us to welcome any aspect of it that can strengthen that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.